you done now? You've got a real attitude problem, McFly. You're a slacker. You remind me of your father when he went here. He was a slacker, too. Oh, boy, boy, you done now. This is the Brad Gilmore Show. Ultimate. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, they're gonna see some serious shit. Are you telling me that you built a time machine? 1.21 gigawatts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Back to the Future, the podcast, the only podcast looking back in time at the greatest film trilogy of all time, Back to the Future. I am Brad Gilmore, and I am joined by my friend in time. He is DJ Normie Norm from Rucker Park in Harlem, New York. Norman Benford, what's going on, man? Uh, not too much, Brad. Uh, glad to be back on the internet talking Back to the Future. It's It's been a while. Uh, 2015 has come and gone. The future year is behind us, but we still have a little film called Back to the Future Part 3 to talk about. So we're going to record some episodes for the pinheads here, flesh out kind of the closing of the chapter, the story of Marty McFly and Doc Brown. We still have a few things left to discuss. You know what? I mean, that was a fantastic uh, introduction. Might I say that was a that was a great uh, little recap you just did there, Norm. I enjoyed it very much. Um, we have a lot to talk about. Uh, we have Back to the Future Part Three to talk about, and I want to shout out a guy over there in the UK. His name is Grant Perkins. He is the guy who designs all the covers and all the artwork for uh, not only this podcast, but for Your Opinion Doesn't Matter, and he's done some stuff for my show, Heated Conversations with Booker T. So I want to give a nice shout-out to Grant Perkins, always knocking it out of the park whenever I need some podcast art done. Uh, but let's let's start from the get-go, uh, Norm. You know, we left off Back to the Future Part 2. Um, the last One of the last things we saw was uh, Marty McFly standing in the rain, right? And uh, the, the uh, Western Union man comes up to uh, give him a letter from Doc Brown, Marty discovers that Doc is back in 1885 in the Old West. He then tracks down the 1955 Doc Brown. After that, Doc Brown sends Marty A back <laughs> to the <laughs> back to the future, and uh, you know a lot, lot of stuff going on. Right, try to keep up, folks. And then he says, "Doc, I'm back. I'm back from the future." And Doc says, "Great, Scott," and thanks. And- Face plants. Face, oh, wonderful, just wonderful scene. Beautiful. I, that's that's. You know what? There's a lot of great scenes in those movies, but I, in these movies, I think that is one of my top five favorite scenes of just Marty running back and Doc not knowing if it's an aberration. If he he was so because here's the thing, he was so pleased with himself that he just sent Marty back to the future that he's kind of like in his own little world, like he normally is. Is Doc Brown? And there you go. He, Marty comes up and he's almost like startled for a half second. Like what's going on? I don't know. And then it takes him a, like a like a good three seconds to register what's going on, and then boom! That's and then he realizes that Marty is back from the future. Yeah, and this scene leads into one of my favorite scenes in this movie, which I won't go into detail that much about right now because we're going to save something for later. 
But I just love the scene with Marty and Doc at the fireplace where they're both kind of sleeping it off and they have their wet clothes hanging by the fire. It's just a it's just a nice feeling scene. Like it's just it it feels no no pun intended, just really warm. I like that scene. Howdy duty time. Great Scott. Um yeah, I mean, yeah, I love I love I love that scene as well. It's one of my favorite in in the whole series. But this is Back to the Future Part 3, Norman. When I was a kid, Back to the Future Part 3 was my favorite of the trilogy. Um hands down. And of course, it changes almost every other year which one's my favorite. Um but Back to the Future Part 3 was always my favorite. And I'll say why cuz I I really feel that I was always a doc guy. I was always more of a fan of Dr. Brown than I was of Marty McFly. And I say that because when I was a child, you know, uh, you don't expect an eight, nine-year-old to have an answer to who his favorite actor was. But uh, mine was always Christopher Lloyd. I was like, Christopher Lloyd's my favorite actor. No one can tell me any different. Back to the Future, Page Master, Adam's Family, Clue the Movie, hands down, Christopher Lloyd, right? Um, so I was always a Christopher Lloyd guy. But where, where did this movie sit for you, Norm? I mean, were you, were you more of a, a fan of this movie than you were? the other two or is this your least favorite because for a lot of people this is their least favorite this is where they think they completely abandoned the true spirit of the movie well i would have to strongly disagree with that and i was thinking about this today knowing that we were going to be doing some recording tonight and oddly enough my opinion goes back and forth as to whether i like two or three better but the one thing that controversially and definitively i can say is the original Back to the Future isn't my favorite of the three movies? Whoa! And I don't think it—I don't think it ever will be, just because two and three. Just, I mean, Back to Back to the Future. Obviously, we love it; excellent movie. But two and three take that that beautiful foundation that has been laid and just lay layer upon layer upon layer of story on top of it, and just enhance it, and and it just gets better and better. So you know, during back and forth between two and three, and I don't think it'll ever be one. Just because one almost feels, and this is going to sound like an insult, but it's not simple by comparison. And that that could be a, a byproduct of having seen it so many times and kind of knowing it inside and out. But two, two and three is where they start throwing those uh, knuckleballs at you. I, I like that. I understand how there, there's a little more. I don't know. I mean, there, it is in one, but the, the great things about uh, two and three is the 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 jumping around constantly of like all the stuff that could go wrong and is going wrong and and will always continue to go wrong. And, and you know, I mean, to a certain extent, it's a, it's kind of convoluted. I think the second one might be one of the more convoluted films that, that, that out of the three, maybe the most, I should say. But I, it, it's still enjoyable. It's still fun and. I feel the same about this one. I mean, this one, there's a lot going on. They do go to the Old West, which is a really interesting choice. I uh, And I know we're going to get into maybe why, but um, I, I just I just feel this one, this one has a spirit of, of, you know, the second one was a little darker. And I know we've made this comparison before, but the second one was like, um, you know, Empire Strikes Back. 
You know, I mean, it was it was real dark, but at the same time, it was good. Or or I'll say Temple of Doom. It was dark, but I mean, it was still enjoyable. But there's something about that third film in every trilogy that seems to be the most fun. And I don't know if it's something. And I don't want to get your opinion on this. I don't know if it's something in a in a writer who is writing the essentially the third act of a very long story. Is there something in him that just wants to uh, say, you know what? We, I, I really thought this thing out for the first one. We went a little dark on the second one. I just want to have some fun. Let's do something just fun for the third one. Because, I mean, I, if you look back at, you know, Return of the Jedi, I mean, I guess you could kind of go back and forth on if it's a quote-unquote fun movie. But I think, you know, you might lean toward it because it, it has a nice ending and, and, and whatnot. But, and then you go into, uh, you know, Indiana Jones 3, not 4. I know there are a lot of four haters out of there. I'm not one of them, but Indiana Jones 3, you know, it was a fun movie. The Last Crusade, it was fun. Like, I had fun watching it. And this one, I think, out of all three of them, is the most fun movie. Um, so do you think yeah, there's something I, in, in the writer that just wants to have fun? Uh, it, it could be, and I think that they, they were pretty sure at this point that they weren't going to be doing anything beyond part three with the movie, and it, it does... it. It veers a lot closer to a comedy than one and two do. Uh, two, two is a film that really kind of upped the ante. Because Back to the Future one, well, if if Marty doesn't do this right, uh, the future will be changed, and he and his uh, siblings are going to disappear, and that's kind of the end of the story. Well, they start screwing around in part two, and then all of a sudden they're splitting timelines. Biff comes into power, and they're basically screwing up the whole town. Where three kind of toned that back down a little bit, where the stakes felt much more personal, and and again they kind of pushed the movie, I would say, closer to a comedy action and a little bit further away from an action comedy, which is how I kind of think of the first one. Part two, uh, it it's it's too dark to to I think call that an action comedy. It it was a kind of an action sci-fi movie with uh, some good comedic elements to it. I don't know. Is that making sense to you? No, no, no. I'm a, I'm 100% with you. Um, I, I do think, if I remember correctly, Bob Zemeckis was talking in one of the uh, behind-the-scenes featurettes that are on the DVDs or Blu-ray sets about how this movie, um, how, how you know, they wanted to go to the Old West because they always wanted to make a Western, and they thought it was so fun to make a Western. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, Norm, were you ever a fan of any uh, any Westerns, or was this uh, was this as good as it gets for you? Uh, not so much uh, old spaghetti westerns. There have been some newer westerns that I have really, really enjoyed. I can't think of it, the name of it, off the top of my head. Uh, open Range. Open have you range. seen Open Range? I have ra- not. I have not. It's a excellent, excellent movie. Cannot recommend it enough. It is It is just a fantastic movie, start to be, or start to end. That, that movie's probably only about 10 years old, and for the life of me, I can't think of who the lead is right now. But uh, Ethan Supley is in it from My Name is Earl. Or not Ethan Supley. The guy who played Coob from Parker Lewis Can't Lose. He's in it. I want to say maybe it was Kevin Costner. But it's, it's, a, it's a great movie. And uh, good westerns can be very enjoyable. I People say The Outlaw Josie Wales is a great movie. The first time I saw that, I was forced to watch it in an auditorium <laughs> when I was in seventh grade. And I just hated it. I hated it. I thought it was the most boring thing in the world. But can you imagine today showing the outlaw Josie Wales with nudity 
to an entire auditorium full of high school students. Oh man, there, there would be there there'd be riots in the street. Back then, it was like, oh, there, there's a butt, there's some boobs, and everyone's like, ooh, and then we just all moved on. <laughs> yeah, but kid, now, kids these days, right? Dragging myself back to your original question, I do not have a particular affinity for westerns. No. <laughs> So, um, so going back to it, you know, the only westerns I, you know, I've ever liked. Yeah, I watched some of the old ones, some of the Eastwood ones, which is, you know, obviously a theme in this movie is Clint Eastwood. Um, but you know, it was never my thing. It was more of a, you know, it's kind of your the generation before. It was the, it was, you know, my dad and my grandfather liked the westerns, the John Wayne, Clint Eastwood movies. But so it was kind of when you think about it, a a risk for the filmmakers to make it in a western setting. Wouldn't you agree? Because it's like you're 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 marketing to I would say a younger demo I would say a, a younger demo and and you're going into a western which could kind of be looked at as like an old man kind of thing I mean where do you sit on that do you think it was a risk uh yeah there were there was some risk involved I mean they were definitely shaking the snow globe at that point they I, I don't think they could deliver a back to the future part three where you have three Martys running around on the screen in 1955 correcting one another's errors that would that would be one too many so to kind of take it to a whole new setting you know part part two took us far into the future so sure it, it kind of makes sense that part three would take us far into the past but yes i i can i can see that there were probably a few people uh going hey, is this really what we want to do <laughs> marty mcfly riding a horse yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's kind of, it really is kind of the strangest departure from what the original, because, you know, you can kind of look at it as the original movie. I, I don't know. I mean, where, where would you categorize the three movies as? Is If this is a Western, the second one was, I guess, sci-fi, and the first one was what? I mean, was the first one a... Uh, a coming of age tale, like I mean, you know what I mean. Like what? Well, how would you categorize the three movies? Ugh, I, I, that's kind of tough. I I still call part one uh, uh, an action comedy. Okay. Uh, I don't think you. I don't think you can call part two an action comedy, but I, you can't really call it sci-fi either. It's kind of its own monster because you know it's 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 not Animal House, and it, it sure as heck isn't Blade Runner either. It's uh, part part three. Uh, I don't know. Action, western, comedy, romance, rom com, western romantic sure. comedy. Is it a Why western not? romantic comedy? I think that's kind of what it is. Um, which is interesting. So I want I want to read you a couple little things uh, because this is our kickoff show. This is kind of where we just kind of speak extemporaneously about the movie, and uh, we're going to obviously get into our full in depth review at the end of the season. Um, but there are a couple things that I wanted to bounce off with you, Norman, and I kind of want to know what how you would think this might have changed the film, or, or what do you think of these certain things? So you ready for me to run some of these down? Yes, sir. Okay, here was something that I thought was real interesting, is that um, the part of Seamus McFly that was per, uh, portrayed by Michael J. Fox was, orit- was written originally for Crispin Glover, and they thought that they could convince Crispin to do the role. How would you have thought Crispin Glover would have played Seamus McFly, and would, would, you, would, you, would that have elevated... Anything for you, or would it just kind of been like, okay, cool, it's a different actor playing the same part? Uh, it, it, it's kind of hard to say, because I, I will admit to not having seen Crispin Glover in a whole lot besides Back to the Future. I did see I did see Willard several years ago, 
And that that might be it. Not a Charlie's Angels fan. Ah, uh, yes. Which, if if you listen to him on the Mark Marin podcast, he absolutely loathed making, and straight up said, "Yeah, I just did it for the money," because he was financing a, one of his own films at the time. But um, how would it affect the film? I' gonna say probably for the worse, because while it is hard to discredit him as an actor, at that point, yeah, have to think he'd still be carrying some baggage with him, and just prone to not want to take direction, not give 100%. Uh, and, you know, sh- sure, they they threw Michael J. Fox in a, a wig and a miniskirt in part two, so why can't he play his own great-great-grandfather or whatever? I, I have no problem with it. Okay, now here's another uh, interesting casting that could have happened. Um, actor and a former president of the United States Ronald Reagan was approached to play the mayor uh, of, of Hill Valley back then, Mayor Hubert, because of his fondness of the first film in the trilogy. He reluctantly, reluctantly turned down the role. How awesome would it have been to see Ronald Reagan have a small part in Back to the Future? That would be. Was, was he a current president at the time? No, this I'm movie, this movie, okay, this movie was filmed... Uh, in '89, so he would have just ended okay, his well, presidency. Definitely... Okay, no, I I would have liked that. I would have liked that. Uh, short term, I think it would have been great. Long term, it might have cast a little bit of a shadow over this as an '80s film that would be hard to escape. It might not feel quite as timeless, pun totally intended, as it does still today, if that makes sense. Like, I can see that being great when it happened, but I can also see that his presence in the film kind of anchoring it in 1989. Yeah, the, the, here was my, here's my thing. is I'm, I'm, I love Ronald Reagan. I think he's a brilliant man. Uh, his, uh, his, his, you know, classic quote about, you know, youth and inexperience was, you know, one of my favorite things that's ever happened on television. But uh, to see him in Back to the Future, it's one of those things to where it it could it would have taken me out of the movie. It would and it would taken everyone out of the movie. So I think retrospectively, it was a good choice that he turned it down because if you're watching all of a sudden, like here's the thing: I don't know who played the mayor in Back to the Future Part Three. I didn't even know that this character had a name. Okay, but you, when you saw him on screen, you're like, "That's the mayor of Hill Valley." If Ronald Reagan would have you know, rolled in on a horse, you would have said, "That's President Reagan in Back to the Future." You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, so I think that yeah. I think I, I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I, I don't think that Ronald Reagan being in this film would have been a great thing for the movie. It would have been good for press. It would have been good to say, "Hey, isn't that cool that we got the president in the movie?" Um, especially like a year after he's out of office. Um, but at the same time, I just think that, or I guess it was actually the year literally he got out of office because he would have stopped in January '89. I guess. So I mean, it would have been pretty sweet to have the president in from a marketing and promotion standpoint. But from a film and storytelling standpoint, I think it would have taken too many people out of the movie. Another interesting casting, though, was Mary Steenburgen, who um, plays can, uh, Clara. Can, Go ahead. Can, can One more thing about Ronald Reagan before we move on to Mary Steenburgen. Uh, Ronald Reagan did have his moment in the sun in part two. So that begs the question, if they cast him as the mayor of Hill Valley in part three, is it a hologram of former President Ronald Reagan sparring with the Ayatollah Khomeini, or is it beloved 
Midwestern uh, former mayor sparring with the Ayatollah Khomeini in the Cafe 80s. Oh, man. Paradox. We just walked into a paradox. That is Mind a fan- blown. That is a fan... Fantastic question, Norm, and I appreciate your thought into that one. That was awesome. Um, yeah, I, I think that uh, I think that is another reason they that it was probably a good idea. So, um, for continuity standpoint, uh, as I like to say, kayfabe. Um, moving along, though, Mayor Steenburgen. So she was cast as Clara Clayton, which is Doc's love interest. I found I found this to be really interesting. Um, there, for a couple of reasons, you know, I brought up Clue the movie earlier, and I bring this up now b- because. There was a lot of people who said this was Doc Brown, including Robert Zemeckis. This was his first on-screen kiss. But according to my research and to my memory, Doc Emmett L. Brown, portrayed by Christopher Lloyd, actually kissed uh, uh, Leslie Ann Warren uh, in uh, Clue the Movie. I thought that was interesting. But even more interesting than that was that Mary Steenburgen did not want to do this movie at all. She didn't have any interest in doing it. She didn't care to do it. And it was her it was her children. Her children said, Mom, you gotta do this movie. It'd be so cool for you to be back to the future. Everyone at school would love us. You know, and that's why she ended up doing it. And I also find a third fact about this uh, pairing interesting was the first film that Mary Steenburgen was in was a movie called Going South, which was a Western that also starred Christopher Lloyd. Norm reactions to those little tidbits of trivia okay uh reactions number one uh apropos of nothing how about that made and clue the movie Whew. oh yvette to, <laughs> brother to, to 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 this day how can how can a young man forget that uh, i did i have read many places that it was christopher lloyd's first on-screen kiss and i have not done the research that you have, but I will go back and do some research on my own. And I bet you at this point, uh, Mary Steenburgen sure is glad that she did this movie because uh, it, it, it's kind of sealed her place in the you know the, the the Hollywood echelon that she was involved with a movie that is still beloved to this day. And I know she's made lots of movies since then. She's uh, she's on Last Man on Earth right now uh, on Fox, which is a current running show. So she's still working. So. You know, I, I I'm glad that she did come around and make the film because I I found her presence to be just right for the film. Well, it, yeah, I mean, no, I mean, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I mean, you're right because this move, I mean, this role was specifically written by Bob Gale and Zemeckis with her in mind. They wrote the role for her that she was their first option. This was the voice that was in their head, and I think that's part of the reason why it came off so well is because. You know, the words were written for her voice. I mean, that's why I think I believed her as Clara Clayton for so, so long. And it took me forever to ever see her as anything but Clara Clayton. Even when she played Mary Steenburgen in Curb Your Enthusiasm for several episodes, I only could see her as Clara Clayton. So I think that's how how much she crushed this role. Uh, I do want to say, here's one more little thing. Is this movie, and I want to see where you think about this. This movie was ranked number 35 on Empire Magazine's 50 Greatest Movie Sequels of All Time. Now, do you think it's deserving of the top 50 movie sequels? And do you think 35 is a good spot for it? Without uh, having the benefit of seeing the rest of the list, I mean, I, I, I'm sure I could start rattling off sequels that belong above it. You know, Godfather 2, Empire Strikes Back, uh, 
And I'd honestly put Last Crusade uh, above Back to the Future Part 3 on that list. Uh, Last Crusade is just a fun, fun movie. It still has all that action. It has the, the chemistry between Sean Connery and Harrison Ford, which is which is just impeccable. And uh, maybe it feels a little more special than the chemistry between Doc and Marty in Part 3 because we've had the benefit of seeing Doc and Marty play off each other in two other films. But with Last Crusade, it's just that one shot with uh, Connery and Ford. So I, I don't have a problem with it being on that list. I think it deserves to be on that list. And with, without, like I said, studying the list, you know, you, you could nitpick it, you know, is it going to slide up or down, you know, five or six, seven spaces? Maybe. I mean, it's never going to get to the top ten. It's, it's good, but it's not that good. Let me ask you something. And back to the future fans out there, forgive me for, for going down this path for a half second. But I'm an Indiana Jones fan, right? I'm hyped that they're bringing Harrison Ford back for a fifth movie with Steven Spielberg at the helm. Like, I am hyped for it. Um... I uh, let me ask you first. A lot of Indiana Jones fans, diehard fans, they do not like Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Real quick, I just want to get your opinion on the movie. It felt okay. Number one, I enjoyed the movie. Oh, okay. Number two, it it felt more like National Treasure three than Indiana Jones four. It was it was very tonally different like there was a lot of gimmicks and oh we have to this rock is sliding and we have to do something so we don't slide off the cliff and it was stupid when shot well actually it was just stupid that they put Shia LaBeouf in it but it was stupid when he was swinging with monkeys and things like that it it is the weakest of the four films easily but in, in my opinion still an enjoyable film and still delivers enough moments to make it fun and to make it worthy of being part of the Pantheon. You know what? Indian in fridge getting blown up and thrown down the street when they're dropping an atom bomb. Loved it. Fun. Funny stuff. They're like, oh, it's not realistic. And I was like, uh, may I remind you that he rode down the mountain on an inflatable raft and everybody was cool with that 20 years ago. So, yes. Well, it, it, you, I agree with almost everything you said, but you gave me a great segue. The Indiana Jones 4 scene where he gets blown up in the fridge and, and it survives a nuclear blast. One of the original ways to get Marty uh, to go through time was to be in a refrigerator and it being blasted by a nuclear, uh, nuclear weapon. So I thought that – there we go. Now we're back on Back to the Future here. Um, so uh, overall – Back to the Future Part 3 is going to be a really fun film to, to break down and dissect. Uh, we're going to be doing the full review, uh, it, I, probably in the same uh, three-part structure that we did the last film. And we're going to really look at this thing with, with microscopic eye lenses on. And we're going to really break the whole thing down. Um, one, one, one last thing is uh, we're going to be talking more and more about the DeLorean, the actual time machine, the vehicle. And for those of you who, uh, who listened to the episode that was posted before this one, it was the audio experience of me taking a full tour of the DeLorean Motor Company facility, the headquarters and production factory here in uh, Houston, Texas, where I am based out of. And I did a little video companion piece to that. Uh, Norm, what was something, though, that you uh, saw in, in that video? Because I, I know you guys a chance to check it out that you learned about the DeLorean? Um, I, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. It wasn't so much what I... 
I learned about the DeLorean because I was kind of familiar with the story to a degree. Like I, I was interested to hear about they have parts on site in the original factory shipping crates. But but what I enjoyed most was just like how how you were just. I mean, you were like a kid on Christmas, and then the next day it's your birthday, and then the next day it's Christmas again, and then oh by the way, you get one more birthday because you. I mean, you were just. You were just ready to explode with enthusiasm, and that was enjoyable for me to see that because I know how much you you love the DeLoreans, and it was nice to kind of live vicariously through you for that. Is sitting in that time machine uh, that Stephen Wynn, and shout out to Stephen Wynn and everyone at the DeLorean Motor Company. Um, I can't wait to see the cars at the end of the year, but I mean, sitting inside of that time machine was such a highlight and I loved and it was funny because I had to say to uh, the guy who filmed it Matt Topolsky big shout out to Matt Topolsky um, I had to tell him dude you got to come over here uh, I, I got to get the first time I sit inside of a time machine on camera I have to get it on film so it, w- it was a really cool experience if y'all haven't checked it out uh, just go to go to uh, my Facebook page or go to go to uh, the episode itself there's a link in the episode notes itself um, to the video it was a lot of fun but Norm, I believe we're going to be back here very soon, and we're going to be talking about the DeLorean. Is that right? I, I believe so. There's a there's a, there's a great story to be told there. Uh, the DeLorean probably changes more through the three films than any of the characters do, at least physically. Uh, there's a lot going on, on on that car slash cars, and we're going to try not to go down the rabbit hole of, well, how does the car that gets buried here end up here, and how many DeLoreans are there running around in the film at any given time, because uh, that that is a path where madness lies. So we're just going to talk, <laughs> really, it is. You're we're, right. We're going to talk... We're going to talk about the DeLorean, we're going to talk about where it started, how it evolved, and ultimately how it was destroyed. Or was it? Dun, dun, dun! Well, we will be talking about all that and more on the next edition of Back to the Future, the podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at BTTF, the podcast. Or you can follow me, myself, on Twitter at Brad Gilmore, on Instagram and Facebook, and find Norman Benford on his Facebook page. Uh, Until next time, we're your friends in time, and we will see you in the future. Brad Gilmore Show On Demand is meant for entertainment purposes only and does not mean to infringe on any copyrights of Back to the Future, its characters, its audio clips, or its music. Hope to see you again in the future. What have you done now?